Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode 221 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm an employment solicitor and HR specialist, and I run the firm Real Employment Law Advice, where together with my colleagues, we provide advice and assistance to both employers and employees. One of the things that we do on a regular basis is to assist businesses in defending employment tribunal claims. If you find yourself in a situation where you are defending an employment tribunal claim, it's really important to get advice and good quality legal advice at the earliest opportunity. Otherwise, it could be very costly for you. If you think you're going to be in this situation or you already have received a claim form or you're trying to find your way through the complexities of the employment tribunal on your own, either as an employer or as an employee, then don't hesitate to get in touch. We'd be happy to have a chat with you. My email is alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk or alternatively, you can call the office on 01983 897 and we'd be happy to arrange a callback with a solicitor. I'm really excited to be joined by Faye Wallace. Faye is the host of the HR Coffee Time podcast, but she's also a specialist in relation to career coaching for HR professionals. She has lots of great information to share. So without further ado, I'm going to get into this week's featured content. So I'm really pleased today to be joined by Faye. Hi, Faye. Thanks very much for coming on. Hi, Alison. Thank you so much for having me on. And um, do you want to just introduce yourself, tell the audience a bit about what you do and a bit about your background? Of course. Well, thank you so much. Actually, first of all, I just wanted to say how exciting it is to be here. When I was very first thinking of starting my own podcast, I did a post on social media saying, can anyone recommend some good podcasts for HR professionals to listen to? And your podcast was was mentioned and recommended time and time again. So it's an incredible (laughs) feeling to actually be here on your podcast today. Oh, that's really good to hear. Yes. Well, as we know, we get lots of um, HR professionals listening. So it's uh, it's fantastic that people are re- referring to it. And so, yeah, good to have you on. Absolutely. And I should probably do what you asked me to, which is introduce <laughs> myself. So hello, everyone listening. My name's Faye, Faye Wallace. I am a career and executive coach and I specialise in coaching HR and people professionals, whether that's on a one-to-one basis or as part of group coaching. I also have got a physical resource, which is called the HR Planner, that I first created about four years ago. There's a free PDF version, and there's also a hardback version you can buy. And I created that because I know, and it's one of the things we'll be talking about today, that one of the key challenges for anyone working in HR is time management. So it's something to help you set your goals for the year and really stay on track with them and not forget the million and one things that you're expected to do as you work your way through the year. And I've also got a podcast, as I mentioned. So my podcast is called HR Coffee Time, and that's a weekly show for, again, HR and people professionals to help them with their career and their professional development. That's fantastic. And obviously, I found you via LinkedIn as well, because you were sharing about your 100th episode. And I thought you'd be a a great uh, guest for the show. 
as I think we talked about before, lots of people who listen to the podcast work in HR or are aspiring to work in HR or might have been landed with the HR job within their business. And so I thought to hear from you um, with some of the things that you can add, it would be fantastic. Ordinarily, we talk about the law and best practice, more from a sort of HR practice perspective. But the kind of things you talk about on your show are about being the best at your job, aren't they? Making the most of your career, um, how you can sort of save your sanity in HR, all of those sorts of things. So I think that's what we're going to focus on today, isn't it? You know, lots of tips for people about the best things that they can do and um, some of the challenges that they may face. So, Faye, in your experience then, what, what are the some of the key issues that crop up time and time again with some of your clients and the people that you work with and, and, and experience in HR? I've been giving this a lot of thought because I knew you were going to ask me that question. And I know that you have got people listening from all different levels of seniority of HR. So you have some people who may be thinking about getting into the profession, others who are just starting out and others who have been in it for a very long time. So although there are lots of different things I could talk about, there are three key things that I see coming up as a challenge, no matter how long you have worked as an HR or people professional. And no matter how senior or perhaps more junior your role might be. And those three things are time management, confidence and being able to influence. So I thought I'll talk about those three things today, if that's OK with you. Yeah, that sounds fantastic and um, absolutely resonates with me, all three of those. So um, if we take take the first thing in relation to time management, as we know, in HR, you're pulled in all different directions. Everybody else's problem is a priority. So what are the main challenges that you see people having and what what are the, the kind of practical tips that you, you would suggest uh, for those working in HR? The main challenges are exactly what you just described. Often what will happen is we start the year off thinking, OK, this is going to be a great year. There are all these brilliant projects that I want to make sure I get done. There are these fantastic areas of development I'd like to focus on to really progress as an HR professional. I can't wait to get going. And then as time goes on, you suddenly think, oh my goodness, I have a billion emails. I'm never going to get through them all. There is constant firefighting. I've got people coming in left, right and centre asking for my support. What was I thinking? How on earth did I ever think I was going to be able to get all of these projects and goals done? And then it can start to feel really demoralising and like you're just not doing the job that you really want to do and that you then worry, oh, am I just going to be seen as a transactional HR person rather than someone who's really adding value? So there are lots of tips and pieces of advice that I can give to help with that. In fact, throughout our time today, I'll probably recommend quite a few books because I think there are so many helpful books out there. You said that you could relate to the challenges that I mentioned And I think that points to the fact that although I see these three things coming up for HR professionals all the time, they are things that impact all professionals. So what that means is lots of people have studied this and lots of people have come up with some fab ideas. And they're often really simple, but they can feel hard to implement. And then if you don't implement them, you just carry on being stuck on this hamster wheel of firefighting and not achieving your goals. So the first book that I was going to recommend is called How to Be a Productivity Ninja by Graham Olcott. I discovered that book 
years ago when I was really struggling with my time management. That is absolutely packed full of really practical tips, things like getting yourself to inbox zero. So if you are completely overwhelmed by emails, he has some great advice there, as in just unsubscribe from so many things that you're getting. I don't know about you, Alison, but I'm terrible at thinking, oh, yes, I'm going to subscribe to that newsletter. There might be something really important. Oh, yes, I'm going to subscribe to that channel. That That's going to be really helpful. And then you don't want to even look at your emails because you're just being bombarded by stuff you haven't got time to look at. So it's a really simple idea, but it's such a relief when you literally just give yourself 10 to 15 minutes, go through your inbox and anything that you're not opening regularly and isn't really adding value, just go through and go unsubscribe, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. It's a wonderful feeling. Yeah, I've got a couple of things to add in there, actually, while you're talking, because I have um, also been going through this journey with my emails as well. There are a couple of things if you're if you're really worried about it and you don't want to unsubscribe or you want to subscribe to things sometimes, don't you, to get the freebie. I use a separate Yahoo account email, which is so completely separate to my work if I want to subscribe to anything, because then I don't have to look at it when I'm looking through things. And the other thing is in in Outlook, if you you can set your um, parameters so that emails from certain people go in straight into a folder and avoid your inbox. So, again, if you're really desperate about missing out on something, you know, you can still subscribe, but have it avoid your inbox. But absolutely, you know, it's just the clutter, isn't it, of having so much in there that becomes overwhelming. Yes, I think that's a brilliant tip. And I do have a Yahoo email address that anything that feels a little bit personal or not strictly work related, I always make sure that I'm filtering things through to there. Because I think if I saw my Yahoo inbox and my work inbox at the same time, I may actually have a panic attack. <laughs> there, there would just be so many emails there. So thank you for adding to that idea. That's invaluable I'm sure for lots of people listening another simple tip that he gives is around your folder management so I used to have a folder for everything and I mean everything so every coaching client got their own folder and I have now coached hundreds of people so you can imagine what my folders were starting to look like and he says you actually only really need a handful of folders he has a two action folder so Anything you haven't dealt with straight away, but you do know you've got to follow up on, pop it into the to action folder. And I thought that's a great idea because sometimes it's not possible to get your inbox to zero. It's not possible to reply to everything and deal with everything straight away. But you can make it look like you have no emails, which is a lovely feeling by making sure you're putting anything that needs acting on into a to action folder. And then you're not using your main inbox like a to do list. And then you've just got a couple of other folders for anything that is has been dealt with because it's so easy. The search functionality now is so fantastic. You don't really need to have everything in a billion different folders. So now I just have a folder that says coaching clients and anything to do with a coaching client. It just goes into that. So obviously everyone listening won't have the same thing. They won't have uh, coaching clients necessarily, but there will be a different heading they can give it. And for my podcast, I've just got a folder that says podcast instead of having millions of subdividers with things like podcast guests or podcast ideas. And it just helps speed things up and it helps you feel less overwhelmed. So they're just really practical, simple tips when it comes to email. But I have lots of other tips on things that aren't necessarily email related. 
Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And I also think there's one thing that we can work on, which takes a bit more time than implementing these strategies in relation to email is just changing your mindset is changing your mindset to thinking, I don't have to reply to that email immediately. I don't even have to reply today. And so, you know, I've I've kind of gone through this journey myself over the last 10 years of thinking actually it it doesn't have to be dealt with immediately and and now I'm very clear with with clients and other people look if if it's urgent and you need an immediate response then call me you know pick up the phone because we we have we say we'll reply with to you within 48 hours subject to any meetings or anything and anything else we'll assume if it's urgent you'll call us so I do think there is a mindset thing there as well isn't there again you know we're Generally, if you work in HR, you tend to be the kind of person who's a people pleaser, don't you? And you just want to please and you want to be doing the best for people. But changing your own mindset can release some of that stress from having that overwhelm from a full inbox, can't it? It really does. And I remember being given that advice for the first time. It was by my coach trainer, so the person I learned to become a coach through. He had sent me an email and I didn't reply to it for a few days. And I just felt awful. So in my reply, I'd said, I'm so sorry that you've had to wait a few days. And he was brilliant. He said, I didn't have any expectation that you were going to come back to me straight away. Please never feel that you have to reply to anything instantly. Who's made up this rule that we should all be responding instantaneously to everyone? And that really helped me change my mindset about it. And I've also seen people use their email autoresponders really well. So they set up their email and it will clearly say exactly what you were just describing, Alison. I will come back to you within 48 hours. If it's urgent, please call me or contact me in another way or here's someone else that you can contact who'll be able to help. And I think that can help relieve some of that feeling of pressure and worry. And oh my goodness, what if people are waiting for me? Because it really clearly communicates and sets the boundaries for everyone else as to when they're going to hear back from you and that they can't expect you to reply within minutes. I often say to people, if I spend all day replying to emails, I'm not going to get the work that you want me to do done for you. (laughs) And and people are quite understanding, actually. And most people have the same sort of parameters around their own email and are quite, you know, feel better about themselves and more relaxed. If you say, I'm not expecting you to reply, don't expect me to reply immediately. And I don't expect you to reply immediately. If we go back to the days before email, when we'd send letters, you wouldn't expect a a response for for days, would you? So sometimes weeks even. And now we live in this age where we're expecting, you know, immediate responses to everything. So that's a couple of your time management tips there. Is there anything else in relation to time management that you wanted to share? Yes, it's always difficult because there's so many other things I could talk about. But if we're thinking of simple, quick things that are really easy for people to put into action, another author and time management specialist that I'm going to recommend is Laura Vanderkam. I've again been following her work for years. She is wonderful. She's done a brilliant TED talk as well. So if you're listening and you're not a big reader and thinking, oh no, Faye's recommending all these books and I don't really like reading, then actually I know that Graham Olcott, who I mentioned originally, he has got his own podcast, so you could always listen to that instead. And Nora Vanderkam has a fantastic TED Talk. I've watched it so many times. It's really inspiring. So I would recommend definitely watching that. She has written several books about time management, but my absolute favourite one is one that she released, I think it was the end of last year or maybe the beginning of this year. And it's called Tranquility by Tuesday. 
It has lots of different tips in there. But the one that I have found particularly helpful is weekly planning. And that is at the end of each week, actually sitting down just to take some time to think about, A, how has your week gone? And if it's just felt absolutely flat out, there are all these projects and things you haven't managed to get done, then taking a moment to think, what's going on? Why is that happening? What things could you put in place to try and get a bit more control? But perhaps even more importantly, or as importantly, looking at your week and weeks ahead. So often, I think you can come in on a Monday to work and think, oh, am I going to get through the week? Oh, my goodness, look at all these back-to-back meetings. Ah, I hadn't realised, I hadn't realised. Why have I agreed to do half this stuff? Whereas if on a Friday, say early afternoon, you have a look and you think, oh my gosh, I've got way too much put in for next week. I don't know why I've agreed to doing half these things. You can move stuff around. You're allowed to. There will be some things you can't move around, but there'll be other things where you can drop people. (laughs) I'm just mentioning email again, the dreaded (laughs) email. (laughs) Drop them a message or a Teams message if you use Teams and say, having reviewed my calendar for next week, I'd be really grateful if we could move our meeting to the week after. Or you can look and think, do I even need to be in half these meetings? Am I being invited to stuff just because people are worried about leaving me out? But actually, it would be a great development opportunity for someone else on my team. I'm going to let them know now that they are going to go in my place and check that that's okay with them and check that that's okay with the meeting organiser. It just means that then you're far less likely to get that awful feeling on a Sunday night of panic about the week coming up. There's a proper name for it. I can't remember what it is, but something about having the Sunday night work blues, I think. Instead, you can switch off properly at the end of your working week and go in feeling like you're in control on the Monday. And the more practiced you get at it, I think the further ahead you start looking in your calendar. So I used to literally just look a week ahead, but now I've got much better at looking several weeks ahead, even months ahead. And in fact, that would bring me on to my next tip, but I'll pause in case you wanted to say anything. So I'm not just giving you a long monologue on here. No, that's all fantastic. And I haven't heard of that uh, lady or her book, but uh, the planning for the week ahead is is a great tip and um, not being afraid to change things. Again, being people pleasers, I think it's very hard for us to put ourselves first. And it's a great, again, a mindset shift, isn't it? But a great tip. Oh, I'm pleased you like the tip. And it links in with role modelling as well. I think that we're we're being watched, we're being observed all of the time, not in a strange way, but just because people around us will notice how we're working. And particularly if we're in a senior role as well, I think that these are really fantastic habits and skills that you can pass on to your team and to other people within the organisation as well. And it lets them know if they're feeling a bit overwhelmed, oh, actually, it is okay to move things around. And what a good idea to be looking at things the week before or a few weeks before, instead of just being very reactionary in the moment on the day when you're in it. Yeah, absolutely. And there are there any more time management tips before we move on to your to your second uh, key issue? I have got so many others, but I'm really (laughs) worried, Alison, that I'll end up just talking about them for the whole episode. So I'm more than happy for us to move on to one of the other topics, if you'd like to. Well, um, should we move on to the to the next thing? And then we can always revisit the time management, because I think time management just flows through everything, doesn't it, in in our work and and what we do? Yeah, it, it really does. And I think it's something that I always my whole life have found difficult which is why I'm so obsessed with it because 
I have seen what an impact using these things can have. And it's why I'm really passionate about talking about them. But yeah. yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I can move on to one of the next things and we can always come back to time management if there is any if there's any time left, ironically yeah. enough. <laughs> <laughs> so one of your um, points was in relation to self-confidence, wasn't it? And I suppose this feeling sometimes of the imposter syndrome that we often have, and particularly if you're new to uh, the HR role. So what are your tips for somebody in, in that, that situation? Yes, with confidence. I can't tell you, Alison, how much this comes up. And I think people would often be really surprised by how many of the people around them at work are doubting themselves or worrying that they're not doing a good enough job. Because outwardly, most people present as if everything's fine and they're in control. But that's not always the case. Often a lot of people on the inside are are really worrying, like, am I good enough or or being very self-critical and thinking, oh, I should be better at time management or I should have more of a handle on that or I should know everything there is to know about HR. And I hope that people hearing that there's a little bit of reassurance in it. I sometimes wish that we could actually read each other's minds just when it comes to confidence so that we'd realise it's a very normal human condition to doubt yourself. And it, it doesn't mean there's anything terribly wrong with you or that you are doing a terrible job at all. It means you're a normal human being. And it will often flare up at points of transition. So as you just mentioned, perhaps for someone who's new to HR or just looking at moving into the role, again, it is so normal to start doubting yourself because it's a point of change. It's a point of transition. And as humans, we don't tend to like change. That's why change management exists as a whole discipline, (laughs) to try and help people in an organisation cope whenever there's any kind of change. I mean, I remember having to get my hairstyle changed because really depressingly, some of my hair started falling out where I'm starting to get older. And apparently this is a wonderful side effect of the menopause. So I changed where my parting was and the hairdresser was so nervous. She kept checking every five seconds. Are you sure you're okay? Is it all right if I cut it this way? And she was like backing away from the mirror in fear because I think she has so many people freak out if she gives them a slightly different haircut to normal. And this was just changing my parting like a few centimetres (laughs) in one direction. So that's, you know, a small thing. So starting a new job or changing career to work in HR or stepping up into a more senior role or coping with redundancy news or coming back to work after you've had a baby or having a new CEO or MD join the business. They're all points of transition and change. And they're often the times where you might find your confidence starts to shake or you have a wobble. But often people will think, what's wrong with me? Why do I feel like this? You know, I've been successfully working for a long time. I think I'm a resilient person. There must be something terribly wrong if I'm doubting myself. And there's not. It's completely normal and you're going to be fine. And there are lots of strategies to help you. So I can share some of the strategies if you'd like me to. Yes, please. Absolutely. The first one that I feel I'm just constantly talking about because it is so powerful is this concept of developing a growth mindset. And I'm going to recommend another book. (laughs) It's written by Dr. Carol Dweck. She is actually a professor as well as a doctor. I mean, oh my goodness, I can't (laughs) imagine having uh, those two amazing titles. 
So I'm never sure if I should be calling her Professor Dweck or Dr Dweck, but on her book, she's published as Dr Dweck. So I'll call her that for the moment. And her book is called Mindset, Changing the Way You Think to Fulfill Your Potential. Now, what I love about her work, and in fact, the work of everybody that I'm recommending today is how much research they have done to back up or discover the concepts and ideas that they share with us. And she started off actually doing research with children. She wanted to see how they responded to really challenging tasks. So she set them tasks that progressively got more and more and more difficult. And she was really surprised by what happened. She thought all the children would give up, but they didn't. The majority of them gave up, but some of them kept on going. And she even had one child come up to her and say, Dr. Dweck, where can I get my hands on these really tricky puzzles? I want to go and practice them at home (laughs) so I can do them. And she thought, oh my goodness, this is incredible. What is going on? And through further research, she realised this doesn't just happen when we're children. We have a mindset that we tend to carry through life. If you have got a fixed mindset, you're much more likely to give up when the going gets tough. And you tend to think that people have got natural talents and that's all that they're good at and they should just stay in their lane. (laughs) And that some people are special. And I definitely used to think this. I used to put people on a pedestal. I remember a bazillion years ago when I was at university, someone on the course that I was doing was a brilliant guitarist. And the minute I heard him play, I almost couldn't speak to him. I was so in awe, like, oh, this incredible gift. I hadn't thought about the fact he's just had lessons and practiced for a really, really long time, probably since he was really little. I just thought, oh, I could never do anything like that. And I would think that in my professional life as well. I remember meeting while well, working with this person who was a legend within the organisation I last worked in for his negotiation skills. And I've told this story lots of times. I think I'm getting like my dad just telling the same stories <laughs> all the time. But in this particular story, I bumped into one of the directors as I was walking down the corridor and I said, oh, just to mention, this person's looking for you. And he said, oh, no, don't tell him you've seen me. And I was really surprised because the person I was talking about was really nice, really popular, you know, a, a, a lovely person to work with. And I said, really, what's the problem? And the director said, he's going to ask me for resources and budget and I just don't have it. I can't give it to him. But he is the best negotiator I've ever met in my life. So I know the minute I see him within seconds, I will somehow be agreeing to giving him not just what he's asking for, but even more. So don't tell him that you've seen me. (laughs) So when I then saw this person who was a legend for his negotiation skills, again, I was very in awe. Like, oh, gosh, I just hear the most amazing things about you. And I can't negotiate at all. You know, I can't imagine ever being good at that. And he just looked at me and said, look at the wall, Faye. And I looked at the wall and it was filled with certificates from training he'd done. And he said, I didn't used to be any good at negotiating. I've just learned it. I've done loads of courses. I'm really committed to improving. If you really want to be a good negotiator, you just need to learn it and you need to keep on trying. And so this is exactly what Carol Dweck was talking about. He was the classic example of growth mindset. So what she's saying is actually, yes, we're all going to have some things we find easier than others, but there's no such thing actually as this special people and special talents. We 
all can develop and grow. And the trick is to not give up if things don't pan out the first time that you try them. And she'd often discover this if you think you are naturally good at something and you go into work and you try it in a new way and it doesn't work out. If you have a fixed mindset, you're much more likely to think, oh, no, what's wrong with me? I can't do it. I'm supposed to be really good at this. I'm a failure. And then start beating yourself up. So as a (laughs) reformed perfectionist and someone who constantly struggles with perfectionism, that was classic fixed mindset showing up. So what Carol Dweck says is instead of seeing things as failures or successes, look at them as successes or learning opportunities and start using the word yet. So if you haven't done it, if something went wrong when you tried, it doesn't mean you failed. It meant you tried. What can you learn about it? You just haven't done it yet. You haven't succeeded at it yet. And she said the difference that that can make to your whole life, if you apply that way of thinking, is just phenomenal. So for anyone listening, if you are someone who generally struggles with confidence and self-belief, please, please, please start trying to embrace that concept of the power of yet. I promise it makes such a massive difference. Yeah, that's so interesting and so true, actually. Um, we've been using it with the children because obviously children often find it difficult if they can't do something that they're learning. And certainly my children sometimes say, I'm not doing it. I can't do it. I'm going to stop. So that we use that with them. You know, you might not be able to do it, but you will, do, you know, that kind of thing. You'll be able to do it and you can't do it yet. So absolutely. Yeah, it's wonderful to see how much schools have embraced this idea of mindset So when, and it was a teacher that I first found out about the book from when I was doing my executive coach training, another person on the training course was a teacher who wanted, who was retraining to become a coach. And he said, if if anyone hasn't read this book, I'd really recommend it. And when I bought a copy and had it at home, it was actually my son who said, I know all about that, mum. And don't you already know about mindset? And I realised that they were teaching it throughout school. And I thought, how fantastic. Hopefully that means that the next generation of people who are going to be joining the workforce are already going to have that bit more self-confidence and that bit more resilience than some of us might have. And so that was a fantastic tip. Do you have any more in relation to self-confidence? I'm sure you do. (laughs) (laughs) I have got more, but I always think that's quite a foundational one. So it's the one I probably talk about the most. The other thing that links in with it that I often say to people is, Just a simple tip, which is as an HR professional, you don't need to know everything. And in fact, the more senior you become, the less you're going to know. And this is something that does come up in other professions as well. But I think HR is such an important function. You have such a huge impact on the organisation and the people within it that you can start to put a lot of pressure on yourself to make sure you're getting everything right, which is when that fixed mindset can start flaring up, and also to think, oh, I need to know everything. So if you think of HR as sort of being an umbrella term, sitting underneath that, you've got EDI, you've got learning and development, you've got employment law, um, you've got talent acquisition, you've got leadership development, you've got, you know, I could go on and on. It is impossible for any one person to be an expert in of those things and that's why it's wonderful to have people like you Alison (laughs) who you can turn to for help if you're a bit stuck with something or if something comes up 
So also, everyone at work will not be expecting you to know everything. It is okay to say, I haven't come across that before, but I'll take it away and I'll go and find out for you. There are all of these fabulous resources, whether it's the books I've mentioned or whether it's listening to podcasts like this one. And there are also people you can turn to for support. So if you're not in a standalone HR role, you may have other people around you within the HR team who can help you as well. So that really is an important thing to remember as you're progressing throughout your HR career. When you get to the point that your HR director or your chief HR officer or chief people officer, everyone sitting around the board table with you, that it's almost worrying if you act like you know everything. (laughs) Because they're all at the top of their professions as well. They've risen to the highest level and they don't know everything either. That's why they have people working for them to to lean on for help or to ask them to help deliver the work. And that's also why they will have developed relationships outside of the organisation. So they have other people that they can consult or turn to. What the important thing is that you do go away and, and you find out the information and that you do develop that network and you do start building up a bank of resources or useful things that you can turn to. So that's that's one of my other tips. And then shall we move on to the third area of challenge for HR professionals, which is in relation to being able to influence, which follows nicely, doesn't it, from from the self-confidence piece? Yeah, I think it does follow on. I hadn't planned it to follow on in this way, so that's quite handy. So. Being able to influence, again, this is something that exists at all levels of HR roles, whether you are just starting out or whether you have been working in HR or the people function for your whole career, because there are so many different ways that you need to be able to influence. So to start off, you might need to be able to influence your manager into giving you some more time. Perhaps they're super busy and they never sit down with you. And so you feel like you don't know what you're doing or what the priorities are. Or perhaps you need to influence a manager to follow your guidance for handling a really tricky situation at work. And then as you progress slightly, you might find that actually you need to influence the entire workforce. There are so many projects that HR are responsible for that impact the whole workforce and you need them to take action on for them to be successful. So perhaps you need everyone to complete a performance appraisal or you want them to adopt new company values or you want them to take part in an engagement survey or perhaps you need to influence a smaller group of people. So not the whole workforce, but a group and a significant group. So you might need to influence the senior leadership team to release budget for you so you can move forwards with the project. So influencing skills are just so incredibly important, but they're not something that we tend to be taught formally as part of any of our training. So often I see people come unstuck and start to get really frustrated and feel like HR just isn't valued. I have all these wonderful ideas that I know are going to make an impact, but I can't get the green light for them. Or "Ah, I can't believe that manager just handled that disciplinary so badly. I told them not to do any of those things and they went ahead and did them. Or um, yeah, so you, you get the gist. That's why I think it's such an important thing for us to talk about today. Yeah, it is. And I'm really interested to hear what your tips are for people to to uh, to overcome that and to deal with it. Well, one of my tips is learning how to write really well. 
because a lot of your communication will be done through writing. And the way we're taught to write at school is not the best way of writing when you're at work. Because when we're taught at school, we're taught to sort of add loads of perhaps flowery language in or be very, very formal and use impressive words. And it can just feel so incredibly dry. So if you're writing like that, when you're sending out an email to everyone announcing a new initiative you want them to take part in and they see a wall of text filled with boring words, they're just going to go, oh, I can't I can't even bring myself to read this or delete. I'm sure they'll tell me about it if it's really important. And there are some great resources to help you with this. Even if you feel like writing is not my strength. Oh, my goodness, Faye, please don't make me. Please don't make me think about this. There's one book in particular that I think is fantastic. It's a really short book. It's really colourful. It's packed full of really fun illustrations that help bring it to life. And it's called Email Attraction. Get what you want every time you hit send. And it's written by someone called Kim Arnold, who's a communication expert. Gosh, I can't tell you, I learned so much from reading that book. I'm I'm not brilliant at putting all of it into action at all, but she has so many great simple tips, like just have one message in each email. So don't think, I'm just going to save everyone's time by condensing all of these different things I need people to take action on into one giant email because it's overwhelming for people. We can't handle (laughs) that amount of stuff. She also talks about having a clear, I'm trying to think how she describes it. I think she calls it a call to action. So make it very clear what you're asking for the person to do, because often we'll receive an email and think, am I supposed to do something with this? Is this just information? I'm not really sure. There's so much in here. Um, I'll, I'll just leave it in my inbox until I figure out what it means. So finishing off your email by very specifically saying, please fill in the survey by this date. Please let me know when you've done it. Giving people very, very strong senses of what the next step is that they need to take. So that's one thing is working on your written communication, particularly for things like emails. Another thing that isn't just about writing, actually, this is also about presenting, is building up your skills when it comes to PowerPoint. And That is something that people are often offered training on. So hopefully this isn't going to feel as daunting to work on. But I discovered just a wonderful book. I think my husband wondered what on earth had happened to me. When I tell you the title, Alison, you'll think, (laughs) oh, my gosh. So at night time, every night I try and read a few pages of a book. And I picked up this one. It's a hardback and it's called Everything I Know About Life I Learned from PowerPoint. (laughs) My, My husband just looked at me and went, what on earth are you reading how can you be laughing at a book about powerpoint say don't you want to read a fictional book (laughs) but honestly the way this book is written is fantastic and it's just filled with really practical tips on how to construct your powerpoint presentations so people pay attention to them so lots of it is advice that you might have heard before like don't cram pack each slide with a zillion bullet points and just make the font really teeny tiny so that you fitted all the information onto it that you want to. He has other tips in there that I have put into action, which is to do things like actually plan out what you want to say and your key messages 
on index cards beforehand or just draw out little rectangles on a piece of paper and plot in your key points because where we can go wrong and PowerPoint feels overwhelming and um, you don't do the best job ever is you just open up PowerPoint and start writing in it and you've not really given much thought as to what's the beginning going to be, what's the middle, what's the end, what's the key takeaway I want people, you just think I'll I'll just open up PowerPoint and I'll just crack on with it. And then it starts to feel really overwhelming. So having those little cards and moving them around and realising, oh, actually, that's going to be too much. I'll strip a bit out. It's all really helpful stuff. So I think writing well, being able to present information well, they are things that are going to stand you in such good stead throughout your whole career. Oh, that's really good. Um, I'll definitely be looking for that book because I know my PowerPoint skills need some some work, I have to say. And then just before we round off, is there anything else in relation to um, sort of increasing your influence and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, so this goes completely outside. Well, maybe not completely outside. It links in with it a bit, but it's not about writing or presenting. And this is just working on your influencing skills generally. And marketing and sales as professions are excellent at this because, of course, it's what their whole industry relies on is being able to convince us to buy stuff or invest in things or pay attention. So there are so many resources out there that can be helpful. But of everything that I have read and watched and done when it comes to influencing skills, there's one book that I really liked because I think it has such practical and also ethical (laughs) ways of influencing people. There are some very unethical, shady ways, but obviously as HR and people professionals, we are going to reject all of those. And this book is called Elements of Influence, The Art of Getting Others to Follow Your Lead. And it's written by someone called Terry R. Bacon. And it's packed full of really, really practical advice, but I will just touch on kind of the core message behind it and one big aspect of the book and that is that he says there are three key ways that you can try to influence people the first way is through logic and legitimizing and people are either tend to use this a lot or not at all (laughs) so when you think about yourself as an HR professional if you've ever said no you can't do that because they can take us to an employment tribunal you are using logic and you're you're legitimizing, you're doing something he calls appealing to authority. So you're saying the law is the authority on this. If 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 you don't do it, there there could be very serious consequences. But there are other ways of using logic as well, presenting things with lots of data and facts behind them to back them up. Or also when it comes to this idea of authority, you can there are some times where you have got to say, look, The CEO has said we've got to do it or the HR director has said we've got to do it. We've just got to do it. You don't want to use that all the time, but it's one that you can pull out the bag occasionally and it will work sometimes, but it won't work if you use it all the time. So that's the first way of influencing is with logic. The second way of influencing that he talks about is through relationship. So it really leans into the fact of how powerful it is to make sure that you are building relationships with people that you work with. And that includes people that you may find a bit tricky, because often if we find someone a bit difficult, we tend to just back right away from them and think, I'll just just avoid them. 
But that isn't necessarily going to solve your influencing problem if they are someone who holds influence. So if it's, let's say, sorry, any finance directors who are listening, but let's say it's a finance director and they are just adamant that they're not going to give you budget on things and you're always at loggerheads with them. You may think, oh, they're just a nightmare. I'm just going to stay out of their way. When actually the advice is to do the opposite, to try to get to know them better, know them as a person, understand what's important to them, because then you're far more likely to be able to get them on board with things because you can change the way that you're presenting your information. Like, I know this has been a real frustration for you in the finance team. If we actually work on the initiative, this is how it's going to help you. It, it can make a massive difference. And also doing things like forming coalitions. So, again, if you're finding it difficult to influence a particular person, but you know there's someone else you work with who just seems to have this magical effect whenever they go near them, you can go and talk to that person if you've got the relationship with them and say, look, could you help me? I just can't seem to get them to agree. Would you mind having a word with them for me? And if you've got the relationship, there's a very strong chance they'll say yes. And they're able to do that influencing that perhaps you just can't figure out in that moment. Then the third way we've actually already touched on before of influencing is through values and through modelling. So and I suspect lots of people listening will use this one a lot because you'll you'll care and they're very values led. And that's when you say we're doing this because it's the right thing to do. But we're going to forget about <laughs> necessarily that the numbers and trying to sway you with the data and the facts and everything. If this is what we want to be like as an organisation, we want to be an organisation that does the right thing. These are what our corporate values are. This is how we're showing we're living them. That is another way of influencing. And it can be a very, very powerful way of influencing. And also tied in with this is modelling. So if you say, OK, everyone, work life balance is really important around here. And then you're getting up at 5 a.m. to start sending emails to the team or they know that you're still logging in at 10 o'clock at night. Your actions are not matching with your words. You're actually saying one thing, but what you're modelling to the team is the opposite. So really think about what is my behaviour demonstrating? If I want to influence people to have better work life balance, it's no good behaving like that. And some people will caveat with saying, oh, but I say to the team, I don't want them working that hard. But unfortunately, as humans, it doesn't work like that. They see you working that hard. And no matter what you say, they think, oh, that's the way I should be working. That's exactly what I need to do to get to that level one day. So that's my final my (laughs) final tip for today on influencing. So I don't overwhelm everyone with millions of tips. No, I think what you've shared today has been really valuable, um, not only for HR professionals, but also for managers. You know, I, I, the point that you were making there about getting to know somebody who you might find tricky to deal with. Of course, so often managers will avoid staff that they, they find difficult when actually that you're, you're right. The opposite is true. You should make the time to get them. So I think everything you've said applies to not only those working in HR, but anybody who manages people generally. I completely agree. They're human issues, really, that that flag up no matter what profession you're in. But they're ones that I see a lot of time just where all my work is with HR professionals. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, So it's been lovely to talk to you. And I'm sure we could have talked for another you know, hour or so on this. But I know you have your own podcast 
And so if anybody wants to um, hear more about the kind of things we've been talking about today, they can obviously listen to your podcast, which is on Spotify, iTunes, all of those places. And we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, if people want to get in touch with you directly, Faye, how can they do that? How's the best way to, to contact you? Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for putting the link in the show notes to the podcast. I really appreciate that. And then secondly, I would love to hear from anyone who's listened today who would like to get in touch. The best way to do that is either through my website, which is Bright Sky Career Coaching, or you can get in touch with me on LinkedIn. I'm there as myself, as Faye Wallace, and Faye is without an E on the end. There's a whole story behind that, but I won't go into that one now. And Wallace is with an IS on the end instead of ACE. I'm on LinkedIn lots. So please feel free to get in touch on that. It would be lovely to hear from you. That's great. Thank you very much for your time. It's been lovely to chat. And um, I'm sure we'll chat again in the future. No, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it, Alison. Now, I hope you agree that was a fantastic episode. And as I was saying, the information that Faye has shared isn't just exclusively for HR professionals. I think this applies to all people in management or people management, or even if you're just running your own business. There are lots of good tips there that I think you can take away. I'll put all the links to the books that Faye has referred to in the show notes, as well as details about how you can contact her directly. And of course, if you have any questions for me, please don't hesitate to get in touch. My email is alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk. I hope that you have a fantastic two weeks ahead and look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.